Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you need more front wing. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Wallcraft here with my co-editor, Paul, Paul Dalby. And guess what? It's race week! Happy finally. New Year! Yay! We finally get to go racing and get down to St. Petersburg, get some warmth, get some... Uh, ethanol fumes and <laughs> get well, that some of us do. yeah, some of us do. I do get that hit that I haven't had in six months. I'm, I'm cannot wait. So excited to get down there and get things started. The entire Mazda Road to Indy, including the uh, the obvious top level, the Verizon IndyCar Series on track in St. Petersburg this weekend. So that will be keeping us extremely busy. Well, me because you're not going to be there. Sorry, you're going to Long Beach, so you're not that far out. I know. Two weeks. I can't wait. Yes, so, um, but we will get things underway this weekend, and we are diving in fully to everything that's going on in St. Petersburg this weekend. But before we get to that, we've got some um, preseason news and some predictions to make. Let's uh, dive right into our preseason podcast and uh, and get some some reputations on the line, I guess we'll say. <laughs> oh, I'm glad uh, we never went back and reviewed the ones from last year, because I don't think I did very well last year. Yeah, and we never do. I don't know how people expect anybody to be any good at this stuff, especially this year. There's so many wild cards this year. It's going to be pretty tough to dig through, but we'll get there when we get there. First, there's a pretty big uh, bit of news that has come up since the last time we recorded a podcast, so we've already touched on it a little bit, and that would be Verizon with their uh, rumored to be, I don't think it was ever officially confirmed, but it was pretty strongly rumored that it was a 10-year deal for $100 million, and so that's $10 million a year, and with they have an option to opt out at five. Now, but is it, that, did you ever hear, is the $10 million that was rumored, $10 million per year, is that $10 million cash plus uh, their marketing, or is that a estimated total $10 million a year? I got the, I believe that- the total. I believe it's the total, including activation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the impression that I certainly got from from everything I read and heard. And I, so. when they had the the teleconference, when they announced it, it Verizon, the, the gentleman who was from Verizon, the VP of whatever it was, certainly made it sound like they weren't going to necessarily be limited by that by that number. You know, they weren't going to say, okay, we've hit 10 million now, or whatever that number is, and and shut the faucet off. I think Verizon really. <laughs> wants to go beyond that and continue to push, uh, especially if they start seeing some nice return on their investment. Well, it makes an enormous amount of sense for them because it pits them head-to-head with Sprint, right? And I mean, Sprint with NASCAR has an enormous head start, let's be honest, but it gives them the opportunity to carve out um, a niche for themselves within motor racing and, and attract and, and retain a slightly different market that I think suits the company very well. And I think the thing that I find the most heartening about Verizon coming on as a title sponsor is the fact that Verizon has been with IndyCar in a less, I don't want to say committed, but a less, a less um, fully invested capacity uh, for a number of years, and they've been with IndyCar through some some not so sunny times, and they've stuck it out, and they've still stepped forward and, and uh, made this agreement. And I find that to be, I think that makes them possibly the the most promising partner that IndyCar has had yet, in that they seem to understand how the sport works and what to do with it. And I think um, everybody is excited that we're going to be seeing some pretty good things from Verizon in the near and distant future. Well, and as you said, they've been around for. Some- Sometime. I think they came in with Will pa- with Team Penske as a sponsor on Will Powers' car in 2009. 
so it, it they live through the whole Izod period. It's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see what they do different from Izod, particularly in the first two years that Izod was there. You know, Izod really pushed, uh, particularly in 2010, they really pushed the drivers to be more than drivers. They wanted to get them out into their very trendy, um, the, the very trendy world that Izod lives in. You remember they took them to, to Central America and shot several videos of them doing, or several commercials, stuff that had absolutely nothing to do with IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember they were like on jet skis and, and, and ATVs on the beach and those types of things. And, the, and, and Izod really pushed to make them. Uh, it was a lifestyle. Thing. Yes, exactly. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. It was a lifestyle. Um, Verizon. I don't think they're going to go that way, but what Verizon has promised is that this isn't going to be simply a title sponsorship where they say, hey, look, we sponsor the IndyCar series, and it's not going to be an opportunity to say, look, we have the best cellular network in the country, which, by the way, they do. Um, But what I'm really encouraged is they want to push, use IndyCar to promote themselves as a much broader technology Mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and I, th- I think as Verizon looks to expand their reputation beyond just a cell phone company, if they can take IndyCar with that, then I think it, it's a huge, huge win for IndyCar to, to have that kind of a company that wants to use IndyCar to broaden its own platform. Right. And um, just to your point about the filming that, that Izod did with, the, with the, the beaches and the jet skis and things, I think I saw some reports out of Barbara during spring, spring training that Verizon was actually doing some commercial filming at spring training. So with, you know, actual race cars at a racetrack. So that's promising. Mm-hmm. I they hope had they got that, Will that, Power doing it again. <laughs> yeah, they had that um, that one with Will Power that ran. I think it's run for a couple of years, actually. That's actually a pretty good ad. So the, uh, it was with Will Power and Justin Allgaier, and I think it was. I think that was actually in two thousand. Oh yeah, the one that you're talking about. There, I was thinking of the one where the, the weird, <laughs> the one where like Will sort of lifts off into the sky. That was a bit odd, but that's the one that I'm thinking of. We might not get the same ones up here that you guys do. I don't think I've seen the other one. I don't anyway. the willpower lifting off one, but yeah, it was that was back when they were this Verizon Championship racing before they kind of got kicked out of NASCAR. Mm. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we're going to see some huge gains. It's by far the biggest title sponsorship and with the most reach that IndyCar Open Wheels has had, certainly since FedEx uh, back mm. in the late '90s. And unfortunately, FedEx came in at the exact wrong time. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even you go back to PPG when they were sponsoring CART, I don't think a lot of people knew really exactly what PPG was. It's not. I have, yeah, I have vivid memories of being like, Dad, what's PPG? And yeah. my dad knew because he's an auto worker and, mm-hmm. and he worked in the paint shop at the assembly plant up here in, outside Toronto. And so he said, Oh, it's Pittsburgh paint class. Or, uh, plate glass but they now do paint and blah blah blah, blah, blah. so um, but I got a really good explanation but I don't think very many people did and I don't know that, that PPG really got much return on their investment in that regard because right. I mean how much promotion does a car paint, paint company, company really yeah. need to do exactly <laughs> exactly but you know there's there's nobody who doesn't know what Verizon is yeah everyone knows what Verizon is they're still the largest telecom company in the country they're huge. They have unbelievable potential to activate this. Yep, absolutely. So 
we've found out in the last week or so that there are quite a lot of rule changes coming this year. Some of them significant, some of them not so much. A lot of them were detailed in a Q&A that Marshall Pruitt did with Derek Walker that was actually just released. And so we're going to sort of one by one pick through these and, and talk out our own thoughts on them. Paul, let's start with the new point system, because I know you um, seem to be going somewhat against the crowd in that you were quite a big fan of the changes. Some of the the changes I am I I personally love the double points for the triple header, um, you know that was something that so many fans wanted to see the triple headers brought back. Um, triple header, you mean the triple, triple head, crown. the triple crown? Careful, Thank don't you. scare the drivers. <laughs> we're running, we're going to run a triple header at Pocono this year. I, I, that wasn't a release that may not have gone out yet, but. Uh, <laughs> The triple crown, that was something that was so exciting. And, and IndyCar really does need to make a big deal about the triple crown. Um, it, so so giving that a little bit more emphasis goes a long way. And, and this is one way to do it. But I think it also helps to um, bring a little bit of the, the balance in terms of, of – um, of, Races having consequence in, in the overall championship, I think it really goes a long way toward that because we still do have this lack of ovals that, you know, we, we can't necessarily address yet by adding more ovals. But if we can add more significance to the ones we have, is it gimmicky? Eh, maybe. But I think you can also make the same argument that is it significantly different or is it a nice counterbalance to the, to the double header weekends? Um, because that's as, exactly as James, the point that I was going to make, and I, but I see it the exact opposite way. Is that I see it as sort of people recognizing that the doubleheader weekends put a little bit of a of a um, an extra weight on the championship point standings than the single um, race weekends do, and so I, I guess I see it as a little bit of a concession to that fact by by offering more points at ovals and, and sort of trying to offset that. But to me, it's a little bit like putting a Band-Aid on a Band-Aid. It's, I, don't, I don't know that it, it really has quite the effect that they're looking for because, I mean, now I, I feel a little bit like events like St. Pete and Long Beach are a bit, you know, devalued as a result of it rather than, rather than the opposite of raising the value being a good thing i think taking value away from some of the smaller events might be sort of a bad thing and i think some of those promoters might start to feel that and i can understand i can see your point fully there and then you start to wonder okay well okay so we have double points for the for the triple crown we have double points for the double header weekends Mm -hmm. yeah what do we do with things like long beach or st pete or the 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 rest of the ovals what about milwaukee or iowa Mm -hmm. how do we continue to to make those big events i i don't know the answer there maybe maybe you don't double the points necessarily up for the triple crown races um maybe their double headers don't pay full points maybe they pay one and a half times for the weekend or one and a half times points for the for the uh, for the triple crown, uh, I think that's an argument you don't want to go back to because I think it took them long enough to get to the point of paying full points for both doubleheader mm-hmm. races to begin mm-hmm. with. Because otherwise, why would people show up? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I guess um, for the triple crown, I I think that there could have been different ways to put emphasis on those races. Robin Miller said in his Q and A that he thought that maybe pay more money for those. That well, makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, that's always Robin's answer. It's always easy to spend someone else's money. And yeah, it'd be great if 
if all you know if Pocono and Auto Club Speedway paid a million dollars to win and you pay five or ten million dollars if you sweep it. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. You mm-hmm. know, five years down the road, if if you can, sure, maybe. Especially if you can get more ovals events back on the track. If you can bring Chicago or Kentucky or you know. Richmond, whatever, name your your favorite oval track. If you can start to bring some of those back in, so that the numeric number of ovals gets a the little bit. The numeric number is that a scientific term? You like that? Yeah. <laughs> so if the number of oval events starts to get back in balance with the number of twisties, then maybe you don't need to go to these double points for the triple header, and you can promote them with some sort of monetary, you know, sub prize, if you will. But Unfortunately, we're just not there right now. So I think IndyCar needed some way to get, you know, the guys like like Ed Carpenter, you know, give him a little bit more to race for to to really show what he can do at these big events. Otherwise, he's basically just running what five events, four, five, six events, however many ovals there actually are. What, what does he get for that? This really gives that entrant, the the car number twenty entry, a, a, a fantastic shot at the championship this year. Well, I think it had that shot anyway, and I don't think that paying double points for the three ovals really makes that much of a difference in that because I do see Mike Conway sort of holding more of his end of the deal up in that situation to begin with. Um, I mean, who else can walk into Dale Coyne Racing and win a race with one of those cars and, on an off weekend? But anyway, um, I guess my my concern is more that one of the things that I have I've really enjoyed bragging about with IndyCar in the last few years because you know there have been ups and downs and times when maybe there's not as much to brag about as others. And one mm-hmm. of the things that we've always been able to say is it's been years since the championship didn't come down to the very last race of the season. And so I think all of us are kind of going, ah, don't tinker with the points because it might mess that up. But, um, and that remains to be seen. It might not have that that much of an impact on it, but I just, I feel a little bit like you're, you're fixing something that wasn't broken here. And that's, of all the things to, to tinker with, I think that this maybe could have been lower down on the list, but, you know. I do see the need to to make a bigger deal of the triple crown races, so I'm not sort of like vehemently against it, but I I just don't see it having the the payoff that they hope it does. But I can see. definitely go both ways with it, but I, I'm willing to let this one, uh, you know, let this one play out for a year, see how it works out. Now, in terms of the points, though, I'm much more in favor of this than some of the very confusing things they've done with the bonuses and penalties, <laughs> uh, particularly when it comes to to the engine situation. But thank goodness that they're taking away that 10-spot penalty on the grid for engine changes. Well, sort of, because as I read into it um, a little bit more yesterday, yeah, they got rid of the the 10-position grid penalty for the same event, but my understanding is that if if an entrant initiates an engine change, they start at the rear of the field at the next event. Now, I I have to dig through the rule book, and this is one of the things that I've got on my to-do list for when I'm on the plane tomorrow. I've already loaded it onto my tablet, and I'm going to sort of pick through it line by line. But um, one 
what I sort of I was skimming through the rule book today, just looking for some stuff for the event summary. And um, by the way, the event summary for the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg is already posted on morefrontwing.com. If there's anything you need to know top to bottom for throughout the weekend's events, we will have everything from timesheets to entrant and track information and weather forecasts and, and broadcast times and everything right there at your fingertips, morefrontwing.com slash event summary. Now, I don't have to do that later. There we go. Very well played. Um, Very thanks. well played. Uh, so I was flipping through there, um, through the rule book, looking for some information for the event summary, and I did happen to flip past the part about what constitutes an entrant-initiated engine change. Now, I didn't read it in detail, so don't take me fully at my word on this yet, but the, the impression that I got from my quick skim was that what they're defining as, as an entrant-initiated change is something where it's the entrant's fault that the engine needs to be changed. Like they've used a non-spec oil or they've tampered with the turbo casing or something like that, uh, as opposed to the entrant saying, you know, we think that this is an underpowered engine and we want you to change it. That, wouldn't, that would be something that the manufacturer would approve and then the manufacturer would be the, the one who initiated it. So I think that... that we need some clarification on exactly what entrant initiated means. And once I dig through the rule book, I'll be able to provide some clarity on yeah, that. That may be if you dig deeper in the rule book. But here, let me read just from the release here. Uh, it does say entrant initiated engine changeouts will result in the loss of 10 driver and entrant points. We already knew that, I think. Uh, but then it says, the next bullet, an unapproved engine changeout by an entry will result in starting from the rear of the grid in the next race. Goes by on an say, entry, that's the part that's not fully clear. Does, do they, by, by an entry, do they mean just in the car, or is it that entrant-initiated terminology that they used earlier? We're going to have to look at it in more detail, mm -hmm. but because um, I, I don't imagine that they would make starting at the rear of the field something that was automatic for an engine change. That doesn't seem right to me. That's that's an even worse penalty than what we've had for the last two yeah. years. So, yeah. so my my suspicion is that what they're defining that as is is something where where the entrant has cheated essentially and needs to be penalized. But let me let me look through the rule book and and get that better defined, and I'll get back to everybody on and, that. And we have submitted that question to IndyCar and have not yet received a response on that. So hopefully we'll get that. Shortly, yeah. Um, the other thing, the, the bonus and the bonus points and penalty points for for the manufacturers championship. Mm. Basically, every every engine change gets either bonus or penalty if they make it to the twenty five hundred mile uh, the the mileage limit on any engine, they get a ten point bonus. If it falls short of that, they get a ten point penalty. So there's a twenty point swing. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's no zero on that. No, that's my understanding. There's no zero. That's interesting. Uh, so this is going to be so confusing coming down to the <laughs> end, because not not only when we leave Sonoma in mid August and go to Fontana for the championship, not only are we going to have to deal with double points to understand who is still in, but then remember the last couple of years at, at Fontana as well, or Auto Club Speedway, let me correct myself. Mm -hmm. As we've gone there the last couple of years, we've seen wholesale engine changes across the board. Just because they want a fresh engine. Because they want a fresh engine. Yeah. It's a 500-mile race. It really doesn't matter where you start from, particularly on a big oval like that. Mm -hmm. They were all willing to take that 10-spot grid penalty. Now, that's a 10-point uh, penalty to the driver and the entrant if they change out before the 2,500 miles. Interesting, yeah. 
So now we have to keep in mind the double points, the penalties for changing out early. But, I mean, how many of these guys are going to be into their engines by then where they're not paying points anyway? I don't think that part is still – you mean toward the that's, manufacturer? Oh, yeah, no, that's not, that's not affected by what you're saying. Sorry, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. All sorts of confusing things. It's and then you have to take a look at what the potential value for payout is for changing the engine as opposed to the 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 detriment of keeping it. Mm-hmm. And so it gets uh, gets interesting. And especially, remember last year at, at Auto Club Speedway, how tough that race was on the engines. Mm-hmm. Something about that track. And, I, I mean, we saw it last year in the IndyCar race. We saw it last weekend, really, with the – with the NASCAR, with the sprint. Well, last clusters. year it was more the, or last week it was more the tires that were in the engines. It, it was, but I think there were there were also some, you know, that's a difficult track on their engines as well. Mm-hmm. It's, for some reason, that track is just difficult. No matter what kind of car you put on it, it's very difficult on engines. If a team has any question about finishing the 500 miles, especially when you got 100 points up for grabs, boy, that... Yeah. That, that's a that's a big decision to make. Are we willing to take a 10-point penalty to swap out our engine and, and have something fresh going into the finale? Well, it'd be interesting to see. Strategy of play. Mm-hmm. Fun stuff. Uh, so let's get into the stuff that Marshall talked to Derek Walker about. Um, this one was one that stood out to me. They have decided to revert to single-file restarts at most tracks, was the terminology. I've um, sent a question into IndyCar for some clarification on which tracks are not included in that. Um, have yet to hear, but when I do hear, uh, it will be posted somewhere prominent, and we'll, uh, we'll get that communicated. But from the sound of it, the street courses are all going to single-file restarts. That was what I took from, from the text, which means that we will see single-file restarts at St. Petersburg this weekend for sure. If they kept them for the road courses, the permanent road courses, I think that would make a lot of sense because um, there's a lot more space. There's no concrete for for cars to to run into. Um, actually, at Mid-Ohio, is it Mid-Ohio or is it Sonoma? Sonoma has is pretty well walls on both sides on the front straight I think so maybe they wouldn't do it there but um, I understand why they're doing it I think that prior to Baltimore last year I wouldn't have been as as behind the change <laughs> but after Baltimore last year I'm, I'm pretty behind the change and I understand why they're getting pressure from the drivers to, to take them away and why they're why they're responding to that pressure I, I don't know that the double file restarts have really done much to to help the action, to be honest, it, it's other than Talara. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it just makes you want to cover your eyes every time there's a restart. Yeah. It's, I think I'm okay with that, so long as they they keep the leader a little bit in check. Um, it seems most of the road and street courses um, aren't very well suited for it anyway. Particularly, uh, you know, you think Long Beach, it's hard to get double filed there coming out of the mm-hmm. hairpin. St. Pete's not easy. Mid Ohio, you mentioned Sonoma, Toronto has never been good. Um, it seemed like a lot of tracks they would get going under green, and then you know two, two, three turns in they'd be under yellow again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's really not that entertaining, is it? So. Yeah, and, and, and it, with IndyCar's reluctance to line them up two by two very far before the restart, you only ever get really two to three rows side by side, then you get this massive accordion effect, and then as you say, that tends to lead to more problems afterwards. 
Yeah. And I think um, Derek Walker said that they'll they'll be making efforts to make sure that the field is tighter and, and acceleration is controlled until they get to the acceleration point. And they're, they're going to put more work into making sure that that's done more effectively. And so that should make things um, overall more entertaining. So we'll we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, another thing that came up was that there are concerted efforts to avoid going to full course yellow whenever they can. And this, um, you know, I think that the classic road and street course enthusiasts are going to be are going to be pleased with this change. I presume this in, this discussion entirely pertains to road and street courses. It doesn't really apply under uh, ovals because you can't sort of keep just a portion of the track <laughs> going. It doesn't really work that way. But um they there was you'll have to go to racer.com and look at, at um, Marshall's Q and A with with Derek to see what the the big long fully transcribed <laughs> explanation was. Um, but it was it was um, very detailed about how they can use trap times to figure out how fa fast cars are going and penalize cars for going too fast through local yellow sections and address the safety issues that way rather than just assuming that they need to go to full course yellow every time there's a there's a tiny incident and i think racing purists can only see that as a positive change because you know more time racing is a good thing and i think one of the things that's been complained about in the last um, year or so pretty pretty loudly is the long yellow periods and uh, and the frequency of yellow periods again relating back to the double file restarts so I think they'll have a little more room to a little more wiggle room on that with the natural road courses. I think some of the street courses it's still pretty tight between the concrete walls, and when you have the safety workers out there trying to extricate cars, um, I, I don't know if I want to leave it to the driver's discretion to slow down when there's when there's safety workers on course trying to to assist a disabled car. So I don't have that much of a problem with the full course cautions on on street courses so long as they're they they should be you know in line with the severity of the incident. If if mm -hmm. it's a quick tow in, we don't need an eight lap caution for a tow in. Um, one of the things I, I I would love to see and I don't think it'll necessarily happen is to have the caution periods completely blind from pit stops. Um, the, the caution should be out to to make the course safe for for the safety workers. And when the safety workers are no longer on the track, then the track should be back to green, regardless regardless of uh, of whether people are pitting, whether the, tr the the cars are lined up. If you're stuck on pit road when the track goes green, sorry, I mean that's the way it is. Like, a caution should not be an excuse to pit uh, and well, extend out extend a, a, a caution because of pit stops. It's funny you should say that because the next thing on my list of things to talk about from that article is the plan that they're planning to close the pits under yellow. What do you think of that? Derek, Derek's exact words were, it's uh, not necessarily the best way, but the simplest way to deal with uh, a number of issues that they want to address all at once. The key one being not having cars uh, uh, racing back around to the to the pits to to um, to get to them quickly when the yellow the yellow five period begins. We have, haven't we been down this road already? I, closing pits under yellow. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah, I thought they were going to leave them open under yellow uh, and not close because you know for a long time the rule was they were closed until the field got bunched up and then they were open and everyone came in at once and it's a safety nightmare in my opinion. 
But I thought in the last couple of years, or at least last year, they were going to leave the pits open right away under caution. Was that not what? Yeah, the, the apparently, they're changing it this year to closing them under yellow. For the entire yellow, or just until they're? That wasn't that wasn't clear. I couldn't. I didn't really read one way or the other. So again, that's something I'm going to have to go to the rule book to to check. But is, is that a is that a all events just road courses just all books? events from the look of things? Yeah. Again, we don't. It's not perfectly clear at this stage. Marshall kind of, you know, not to not meaning to knock Marshall, but he phrased his question as though the reader already knew what was going on, and I don't think it's something that's been discussed a lot. So um, might need to to seek some clarification on that. But it's definitely something something that in some form is happening apparently. So I think I'd be okay if they closed them for the entire yellow. Um, I, I think I, I think, think that there are going to be yellow. some competitors who are not going to be okay with them closing them for the entire yellow because I can just see cars running out of gas left and right. But yeah, but IndyCar is typically allowed a driver to pit if they were running out of fuel. Well, if they'll they be allowed a... to, but I, I don't know what the penalty would might be for that. I would think it would be similar to what it would be still. I I, I have no idea to be honest, but I would think yeah. it would be similar. But I think I think it's much safer green flag pit stops. You don't mm-hmm. have, you know, whether you say 24 cars or 33 cars, all in at the very same time, all racing to beat each other out because everyone's leaving at the exact same time. I think mm-hmm. I think yellow flag pit stops are much more dangerous than than green flag stops. So if we eliminated the yellow flag stop, I, I I don't know that I'd be upset by that, to be honest. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have to look into that further and see see what the real story behind all of that is. Um, this one was one that sort of rubbed me wrong, oh, the wrong way a little bit. We'll see what you think. They're going to try to guarantee um, at the end of a qualifying segment five minutes of green flag time for, for all competitors to get um, their fast laps in. Now, they, he, he conceded, Derek Walker did, that there may be times when they are not able to do that because the track is um, too heavily scheduled or because of, I don't know, weather or something. Um, but that's going to be something that they're going to try to do is ensure that they, and they will extend the segments to make sure that there's five minutes of green flag time at the end. That bothers me because I really enjoyed the penalty that some of the big teams occasionally got for for, you know, being a little bit cheeky and trying to wait until the the very possible moment in the segment to go out and get the fastest time on the best rubber. Um, And there were times where, you know, somebody, some smaller teams would would greatly benefit from some sort of incident on track, bringing the segment to to an end early. And I thought it added some intrigue that uh, that's now being removed. I understand the, the competitor's argument on that side, but I think it's uh, it's a less effective change from a fan point of view. I completely agree with you, amazingly. Totally agree. <laughs> I, I don't like any time when a sanctioning body says, we're going to try to guarantee dot, dot, dot. Yeah. No. Um, you know, the 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 rule is you, there's a 10-minute session. And if you wait for eight minutes and somebody brings out a, a, a caution flag and you don't have a lap in, that's your own fault. Too bad. I yeah. mean, how many how many years have they been doing this? Fast six now. Every yeah. since 2005. I mean, by yeah. now they should have learned. You at least need to go out and put a lap in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't like that change at all. Not at all. No. 
I agree completely. Um, this, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Check the temperature down down uh, in Hades and see if the thermostat needs to be turned up. Or something. <laughs> um, so this one's a very interesting one, and it's going to ruffle some feathers, but it's, this one is a very positive change to the fans. Teams are not going to be allowed to cover up the cars anymore. They're not going to be allowed to cover up the engines when the cowling's off. They're not going to be allowed to cover the wings in, in the in the paddock area. No covers on anything. The theory being that if fans come to the track because they're they like cars and they want to see what what people are doing with the cars, then the teams are not allowed to be secretive about it anymore. So I found that interesting because I it's a. I don't. I find that trivial. I mean, that's been going on for 40 years, and I don't know why all of a sudden that needs to be changed. Um, I, I don't know. That's. I wouldn't go with. Well, it's it's trivial to to some of us maybe, but I can see it being a big deal to the to the 10 year old that that's at the track for the first time, uh, and it's certainly not trivial to the teams who are all going to be sort of trying their best to stand in front of the cars and make sure other people don't see them, but. You know, I found it interesting. So when you're if if you're gonna pick a track to go in and uh, take full advantage of that at, pick Mid Ohio with their their um their tiered garage area where you can stand above and look down on the work that they're doing on the cars. That that'll be uh, much cooler than it has been to stand up there and uh, and check out everything that's going on. Mm. All right, you ready for this last one here? Mm. Are you sitting down? Uh huh. So there are some changes in race control this year. Uh, Derek Walker essentially admitted that that um, Bo Barfield was more or less a one-man show for the last couple of years, and there are um, there are changes underway to 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 change that. So they're implementing a system where they're going to have Bo sitting with two stewards uh, and in any situation where there's a, dis- a potential dispute. It's going to be put to a vote whether a penalty needs to be applied in that situation. And all three of those guys are going to have a vote. And whoever has the majority, whichever side has a majority, is the one that will be applied. And then from there, there's a cut and dry, written down rating system. And this is, it's subjective, but at least there's a scale to sort of to work with where the stewards, all three of them, will collectively decide where on the scale of penalties the infraction falls, and then the penalty will be applied. Now, are you ready for the best part? It gets better. Yeah, so we have Bo Barfield, who's this the senior steward as a race director, uh, Johnny Unser, who's been there for many years, and Brian Barnhart. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why they they I mean, not not to say that Brian's not, you know, capable of doing the job and at least there are checks and balances where all three of them will be working with each other, but I just don't know why it was necessary to open that up for to for the potential for, you know, screaming and crying and gnashing of teeth to begin with. It can't have been that hard to find somebody else. But anyway, um they are evidently interviewing other people to uh, to sit as stewards and there there will be some you know sort of rotating in and out as the season goes on but uh are you gonna throw your hat in the ring me <laughs> let's call shane the shane, international, international superstar and we can <laughs> ship him up 
<laughs> well, that's so, interesting, though, that now you talk about this whole system of going to three stewards and they put it to a vote because I was under the impression that's what they've been doing for the last yeah, couple of years. No kidding. I thought we kept hearing about how it wasn't just Bo, but there was Bill Van Zant was in there and Johnny Unzer. And it seems like, was Ari Leinbeck in there once upon a time? At some point, yeah. Little Al was in there once upon a time. So, so now, now we're really doing it. Now we're yeah. not just saying it. Now we really are. Trust us this time. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, we are. Yeah. Um, so, shall be interesting to see how that affects what we see applied on track, and uh, to see if it sort of removes not only the. Um, I'm thinking back to the the incident with Scott Dixon in Milwaukee. I think it was where he was penalized for the wrong replay, mm-hmm. uh, whether it can eliminate that sort of situation. And, of course, I mean, race stewarding is very heavily in the in the grander motorsport sphere, uh, very much the topic of conversation right now because uh, IMSA is under very heavy fire for making a lot of mistakes in their first two races with the Tudor uh, United Sports Car Series. And so it's something that's, that's garnering a lot of attention and uh, that IndyCar is smart to be making changes you know, preemptively to sort of stave off some some of the uh, some more of the incidents that they've been dealing with over the last couple of years. Um, but it will be interesting to see how this might shift slightly the application and the frequency of penalties that we've seen over the last couple of years. Which I think, you know, apart from a couple of controversial incidents, incidents fans have more or less been happier with than they had been in the past. That's my impression. I don't know if yours is different. I would say Bo Barfield's uh, uh, his honeymoon period was certainly over last year. Mm-hmm. There were a number of issues. You know, you go back to Brazil, you go to Sonoma, the pit incident with mm-hmm. with Scott Dixon and Will Power. Then the next week at Baltimore with um, Scott Dixon and Will Power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? What'll be interesting, and we're going to find out really quickly how it's handled with four road and street courses to start the the season. Is which way this? I think know, it's only two. three: St. Pete, Long Beach, and um, Barber. And then the oh, and then Grand Prix, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Grand Prix. Sorry, I keep lumping it in with the 500. <laughs> yeah. No, they're separate events, really. They I are. know. Yes. <laughs> but what, which way is this me. new iteration of race control going to go with blocking and 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 um, um, the contact, um, avoidable contact? Uh, no, they've I gotten, don't want to hear those terms all too much again. I know, I know. But, you know, the last couple of years, it's basically been if you touch somebody, it's avoidable contact. Um, and I think it's driven a lot of the drivers nuts. It's driven a lot of the fans nuts. Uh, the blocking just doesn't seem to be which way are we going this week. It, it seems to be it seems to be the, the prevailing thought. Hopefully they, they pick a way they enunciate what that way is going to be so that the fans and the drivers and the teams all know from the beginning and they stick with it and they enforce it. I think that's what will make people finally happy with race control. They may not like the decisions, but as long as they're consistent, I think people will be okay with it if they know what to expect and they see a consequence where they're expecting to see it. I agree. Okay. I think we've actually gotten through all the rules now. (laughs) That's a big long list, um, and certainly if anything else comes up, then we will keep you informed. Uh, let's talk about the elusive TBA. 
at Dale Coin Racing. How how many hours after first Friday practice do you think it'll be until before we find out who's in the car? Let's get the stig. <laughs> then we don't ever have to tell anybody. There you go. Hey. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea who's in TBA. I'll just be straight out honest. I have absolutely no idea. I saw somebody's name that I never heard of or even recognized before that somebody said was, you know, a... Uh, Marshall said that Carlos Huertas was... was that sounds like the guy that I never heard yeah, of. Yeah, tapped for... I, but from what I've heard, uh, well, he tested with another team. What is it, didn't he test with season? Panther? Was it with Panther? I, I was trying to think if that's who it was. I, think so okay that would that would make the timeline make a lot of sense um but apparently he's only interested in doing the road and street courses and there may be an oval program available in that seat which would be interesting very interesting um because we have a pretty good idea of who might get pegged for that so we shall see. Mm. Um, that's the most recent news that, that any of us has had on it. So, But um, James Jakes was uh, on Twitter not that long ago, apparently, saying, I'll have news soon, guys. Whether that's in IndyCar or not remains to be seen. But Which, speaking of Jakes, that's kind of pretty much how he showed up a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm, it is. So. TBA Interesting. came out of nowhere. So. Yeah. And then, you know, performed pretty well for himself. But yeah. Yep. Seems to have uh, thus far in the offseason vanished, so we'll see what happens there. Um, the news of the Aero Kits. Um, anybody who thought that the Aero Kits were vapor- vaporware, to quote uh, Tony J. Ryder on Twitter, uh, needs to take a look at this news. Tino Belli, um, who is a name very well known within the paddock, most recently with Panther Racing, tap on nose. Um, and uh, before that, I think he was with Andretti, wasn't he? Uh, that sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he has been hired by IndyCar to lead their aero kit implementation program, which I think that I, you'll have a hard time finding anybody to argue with that as being a very uh, positive acquisition for the series. So so great to hear that. Um, the sort of side story about that is is the Panther side story with uh, people continuing to, to vacate that team and, uh, you know, no sign of them appearing on the grid in the near future. So interesting to see that continue. I actually, um, I don't know if I should, if I should say this on the podcast or not, but I thought it was funny. Don't sue me, please. It's not my joke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) my buddy, Mike Cockrell from Edmonton saw the news about the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan transporter fire and said, has anybody (laughs) seen John Barnes lately? (laughs) I did see that. Yes, I thought it was pretty funny. Mm. But it wasn't my joke. Don't sue me, please. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, so you and I have to make some predictions. But before we do that, do you want to touch on some Indy 500 news? Are we allowed to do that when we're when we're doing a preseason podcast? Or are people going to yell at us for focusing on the Indy 500 when, this, when it's supposed to be all about the new season starting? Probably, but that's part of the new season. What do we got? Uh, Dario driving the pace car. Is there any possible better choice in the entire world? Nope. Nope. I personally find the pace car itself ugly as sin, but. Oh, no! No, no! The really? Camaro's awesome! It looks like a crappy knockoff of the Batmobile. Oh, you have no soul. <laughs> I love. Anyway, um, I, I thought that uh, it was it was pretty funny seeing Dario, you know say do you think anybody will be mad if i led the first lap <laughs> he's clearly very excited everyone's very excited 
It's great for attention. It's great for, you know, paying homage to a very deserving champion. And so there's just, there's no downside to it. And I'm finding more and more, we're finding a lot of stories coming out lately that don't have as many downsides to them, which is kind of nice. It's, Maybe uh, we've exhausted all the downsides. Uh, let's hope. That would be great. <laughs> It's all um, rainbows and bunnies from here on out. Well, except for this one next bit of news, which we both need to, you know, have a little tear over, and so does everyone. Jim Neighbors singing his last time this May. Yep. You and your dad are going to be a mess. It'll be very sad. But sitting tower life terrace. goes on. I can yeah. just see the thousands upon thousands of grown men weeping into their beers. <laughs> I'm not, I, you know, I'm being a little bit facetious there, but it actually is very, very significant news obviously and if you've been sort of sitting and hedging on on when to spend the money to go to the 500 between that and dario and the pace car and all the veterans coming back if you're going to make it any year make it this one because this is going to be a pretty uh pretty historic one from the sound of things yeah but the 500 survived when tony holman passed away and it survived when tom carnegie hung up the microphone it'll survive after jim neighbors it's it's bigger than any of the 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 participants or any of the traditions in themselves and it will be sad to see somebody else in his place but the show will go on the 500 has a way of making new traditions Mm -hmm. when it needs to so i'm sure that it will have no trouble doing so as well in this case okay so um i don't want to go through all of the predictions that that we have made. By the time you're listening to this podcast, up on morefrontwing.com will be a list of questions that John and Paul and I have answered with our predictions for how we expect the 2014 IndyCar season to go. Uh, please do check out the article for the longer list of, of questions and answers, but I don't want to cover all of that right now because, uh, I mean, we'd be here all night. So let's just cover sort of the three main categories and uh, start with Rookie of the Year. We've got a three-way battle this year. Uh, Carlos Munoz coming in with Andretti Autosport, uh, who's uh, already had some experience in the big cars and uh, has performed very strongly. And we have Jack Hawksworth coming in with Brian Herta Autosport, and he's a graduate from the Indy Lights series last year. I think he finished the series fourth. I, I feel bad for not checking that before we sat down, but I, it was somewhere around there. Um, he had a couple wins and uh, and had a strong enough performance. M- maybe a bit curious, you know, that that somebody that the people who finished second and fourth in last year's championship are uh, in cars and and Sage Karen, the reigning champion, is there where she be found. But that's a story for another day. Um, and the third is. I don't. I I feel like I'm going to butcher his name because I haven't heard it said out loud yet. Mikhail Eleshin, sure, with uh, Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. I I always do better with accents than you do, so I don't feel like I'm doing too badly. I would have said Mikhail. I think I don't know if I would have said that. Well, I'll, well, yes, but it's Mikhail, isn't it? I don't know. We'll find him in St. Pete and get him to say his name, and then we can do it properly from here on in. Anyway, who you got? I, I don't see how how Munoz doesn't yeah. have this one in the bag. He's the only one with experience, and, and going up against Andretti Autosport is just a, a a tall mountain to climb. Well, and he sat on the front row at Indy last year and finished second in his rookie outing. So. Right, and he had uh, well, 
He didn't he, necessarily do as well later in the year. I do remember. Um, he, he struggled. Was it at when, Fontana that Bobby Rahal said he's in over his head? Well, yeah, that was the one where he he had a spectacular run for 200 of the 500 miles, yeah. and then and then his aggressive nature kind of caught him out. But he also filled in for Ryan Briscoe at Toronto mm-hmm. on very short notice. With Panther, and he, that was he just sort of kept put his head down and had a very calm race and just brought the car home in which, one piece, which, which was all exactly he could really do there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, but we, I mean, we've got more of a sample size to go on with him, right? So mm-hmm. it's easier to say Munoz, but I, I mean, I can't disagree with you. It's hard to hard to bet against that when he's when he's had that good of a performance in the in the small sort of glimmers that we've seen him. So, but you never know. I mean. Alessian uh, is the big unknown, right? So he very well could surprise us. Uh, we'll see. And, and Hawksworth is is talented in his own right as well. It's just a, you know, maybe with an underdog team, he doesn't have quite the the same potential for for uh, a standout season that that Munoz with Andretti Autosport does. But it all remains to be seen. We we could easily be wrong about everything that's happened before. Has it? Yeah. Man. I'm sure it has. <laughs> okay, who's going to win the Indianapolis 500? I don't know. <laughs> How are you supposed to know? I know. It's a massive and such a deep field this year. It's really, really hard to pick. We're just grasping at straws. Well, you'll see in my in my in in the post tomorrow or, or whenever we get a chance, you get a chance to read it. I've got it narrowed down, I think, to seven. <laughs> uh, and of those, I just picked Marco. And I don't know. I don't know why. Um you know, I, I think we'll know more when we see what the Honda engine does. But I, I just feel like Marco in the last year has really stepped up his game. He had such a strong run, really, at Pocono last year. Didn't run bad at Fontana, though he wasn't quite as strong. Um, he just seems quick. He seems like he's ready to 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 run well. And I think if if he can keep his head about him, which is always the question with Marco, can he can he avoid blowing up in the in the helmet, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The place just seems like it, 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 it has to it has to be good to that family at some point in time. Maybe this is finally the year. Interesting perspective. Um, I picked Elio Castroneves for, for his fourth joining the Four Timers Club. Um, I just feel as though with the changes going on at Ganassi and with Andretti that Penske might be a little bit faster out of the gate in the early season. And with a very, very strong three car effort, um, I think that, that the combination might be exactly what's needed to get, to, to get Elio um, uh, up to victory lane there. And I mean, the, the Chevrolet's proven that they can do it with last year's win with Tony Kanaan. So I don't know. It feels to me as though the dice might just fall perfectly in, Alio's favor this year, but I think I said that last year and he didn't win. So <laughs> I think maybe I said Marco I last stop. year. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I should stop picking him and then he'll, and then maybe he'll win it. I don't know. It's because it's all obviously about what I pick. <laughs> all right, who gets the title? I think it's Will Power's year. I really do. The way he finished last year, the last third of the season, finally came back into Will Power form. You know, finally got the win on the big oval the 500 mile oval or the 500 mile race on the oval. If he, <laughs> he can... was so great in the, in the press conference after that <laughs> smash on the table, he told me I couldn't do it, but I did it. <laughs> uh, if he can maintain that, 
that raceability on the ovals. And, and we still haven't seen him race that well on the short ovals. Uh, he was completely out to lunch at, at, at Iowa. Maybe that was two years ago, but just hasn't run well there. Hasn't run real well at Milwaukee. Um, it's a small enough component to the schedule, though, that he doesn't really need to. It is, but but what about Pocono? Pocono is one that doesn't race like I don't Montana mean the ovals Pines. in general. I mean the, the short ovals specifically. Mm-hmm. So. Well, if he can maintain this form that he found at Fontana through the ovals this year, I think he's going to be tough to beat. I don't see him stumbling out of the gate like he did last year and really struggling the first half of the season. I think he finally found his stride late in the year last year. He's been quick this off season. I expect him to go strong into St. Pete. I expect him to be strong through the year, and I think it's, this is finally his year. I agree with you. Can you believe it? Twice oh, in one podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I have power as well, and I, I keep saying this. It, like, if I keep picking him, it's got to get right eventually. <laughs> a stopped clock is right twice a day. So I'm, I'm going to keep picking power. But I actually do think that, that you're absolutely right that this could be this his year. I think we're going to see a different willpower this year, one who's more confident, uh, one who has now been through a season where he didn't have to – you know, he, eventually he came to the realization that he didn't have to, to fight for the championship anymore. He'd just go out and race and do it because he because he enjoyed it and because he wanted the challenge and to see what he could do. And um, that plus the, the potent combination that I think Penske is going to be in the early part of this year and, and to have that carry through the year as long as we don't have Ganassi show up at Pocono and take everybody to school for the last half of the year again. Um, I, I really do think that you're right, that this could be the year that power finally uh, does get it done. Okay, so I think we're just about ready to bring things uh, to a wrap. Let's just... Um, plug a couple of things before we let you go. So this week on morefrontwing.com, we have had um, season preview posts for every level of the road to Indy. John, who unfortunately wasn't able to join us this evening, he uh, he covered the USF 2000 and the Pro Mazda season previews, and he went and got some uh, really good insight from a couple of junior Formula Series experts, Jeremy Shaw from the Team USA Scholarship Program, and uh, Rob Howden, who runs eFormulaCarNews.com, and uh, the promoters of the of the series, Dan Anderson, uh, all gave us some insights on who they thought were the drivers to keep an eye out on at USF that 2000 and Pro Mazda this year. So take a look at those. Um, I also put together a an Indy Lights season preview that covers um, the question, will it just be Matthew Brabham versus the rest, or will there actually be any competitors out there to, who can give him a fight? And so uh, sort of rolled that around and, and looked at a couple scenarios. So uh, please, please uh, go and take a look at that if the Road to Indy interests you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we've also got our event summary that is live and uh, and constantly under changes from now until the the, uh, the weekend wraps up at St. Petersburg. And um, we're also going to be launching daily live blogs again because I will be on site at St. Petersburg uh, bringing you the, it, all of the information and photos and and anecdotes and everything that I can find that might be of interest to you in St. Petersburg. So keep an eye on the site at morefrontwing.com for those as the weekend goes on. I think that's it. Is there anything you wanted to cover that I haven't covered there? No, I, I think we've hit all the highlights. I like how thoughtful you were about that. You made really sure that you were that you were right before. I was trying to think of anything else we've left off. I think we hit it all. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's call it a day then, and uh, we will be back next week to wrap up St. Petersburg. And from here on out until the end of the season, we're going to do our best to bring you weekly podcasting to cover everything that's going on in the world of the Verizon IndyCar Series and the Mazda Road to India. We hope that you will join us. So from now until then, please do remember, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more front wing. <laughs>